Thank you all so much for being here today. I trust the Lord has already blessed your heart with a little fellowship and singing. I always enjoy the song service and uh, just uh, just appreciate good music. Amen. If you have your Bibles, let's open the Word of God to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. We'll look at a familiar passage of Scripture. <clears throat> and uh, hopefully uh, come away with some with some uh, what I like to call gold nuggets of truth to enjoy and take away with us. Luke chapter 18, <clears throat> we're going to begin reading in verse 9, and we'll read down through verse 14. And this is a passage about the Pharisee and the publican. And I think I want to just use that as my title for the message today, the Pharisee and the publican. We'll bring a message about these two men and see what we can learn from them today. If you have your place, Luke 18, verse 9, let's stand together. We're going to have prayer, and then we'll begin reading right there in verse 9, all right? Let's pray together. Our Lord, how we love you today, how we thank you for the scriptures. Lord, we, we do pray that you'll be our teacher and guide, Holy Spirit, as we read this text. And we would ask, Lord, that you would take these things and use them to do a work in us. Lord, help us today to be conformed a little more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. Help us to take on a little more of his likeness and maybe leave away and leave behind some of those things that, that do not reflect his image in our lives. Lord, we love you. We trust you. We ask you to work in us as through your word this morning. We pray you to have your will and your way. Do your work in our hearts, our lives, and we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Look at verse 9, if you would. Luke chapter 18. Verse 9, the Bible says, And he spake this parable unto certain, which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Wow, what a picture. These two men. We're talking about the Pharisee and the publican. Now, the Bible plainly says in verse 9 that Jesus gave us the description of these and the, and the event that is taking place as a parable. What is a parable? Well, if, you, if you're a good Bible student, then you, you know from already from previous that a parable is an earthly story. It's an event. It's a story about things that happen on earth, but the parable itself has a heavenly meaning. So it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It's, a, it's an illustration that God is using to teach us something. All parables are meant to teach a lesson. 
So what's the lesson? Notice who the parable was given to. It would give us a strong hint as to what the parable was given for or the purpose of it. He said he gave this parable to certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. We would call that self-righteous people. So these self-righteous people, not only were they self-righteous, they were all puffed up about themselves and the things they had accomplished. But because of their accomplishments, they looked down or they despised others. Wow. Who were those people? Well, I think we would all answer as good Bible students, we would say, the Pharisees looked at themselves so to who really despised others who they thought didn't measure up to them. And you know, sometimes as Christians, we can be guilty of that. We can be just as guilty of that as the Pharisees were. We can get our checklist out and we can, we can, as we can, we can acknowledge the little boxes, the things we've accomplished as we've grown in Christ. And we can mark the milestones that God has taken us through. And we can use that if we're not careful. We can use that to, in our minds, justify ourselves and make ourselves feel as if we're better than other people who, who haven't accomplished, who haven't arrived to the level of fellowship that we're at. That's really not a good place to be. That's not where Jesus wants you to be in your discipleship. That's not where Christ wants you to be in, in your journey following him. He doesn't want you to have the attitude of a Pharisee. He doesn't want you to condescend to other people. Look, the ability to take yourself and get down on their level and relate to them is one thing. But to stand above others and look down on them is something else. And the Lord is using this parable to teach us that that is the wrong attitude for a Christian and for a believer who wants to make a difference in the lives of others and serve the Lord with joy. That is not how we should present ourselves. So he gives this parable. You know, the Lord, in his kindness, he gently rebukes us at times when we find ourselves, like the Pharisees, innocently in the wrong. And you know, sometimes, sometimes you can just be dead wrong and not know it. You think you're right, you think you're doing the right thing, but you're really wrong. You know, another word we would use to describe that is deceived. The thing about being deceived is you don't know you're deceived. You believe something that's not accurate, and it causes you to take certain actions. That's what was happening here. And the Lord used this parable to teach them. So the parable is a picture of the Pharisee and the publican. It's a picture of two men, and the Lord is going to use the comparison and the contrast of these two to teach a lesson, a great lesson. So notice these two men. The Bible says these two men, basically you can think about it like this, they're in church. And the Pharisee, notice, let's look at their approach. They're in, they're in church, they're in the house of God. The Bible says two men went up to the temple to pray. So they come in the temple, they come into the house of worship, the place where, where we think God dwells, and that was true in the Old Testament. So the Pharisees would have, would have fully had that mindset that they were entering into the presence of God. And for them, that would have been true. 
But for you, for us today, that's not necessarily true. Because the presence of God is not limited to the, to the inside of these four walls. If you're a believer, you carry the presence of God with you today, unlike the Old Testament believers. You carry the presence of God with you everywhere you go. You know, some people have an idea that, well, we're supposed to act a certain way in church. Well, if that's what you think, you better act that way everywhere if you're a believer because you take church with you. You take the presence of God with you everywhere you go. You take him with you to work. You take him with you to the store. You take him home. You take him to your neighborhood. He's just as much there in all those places as he is here this morning if you're a believer. Because the Bible says in the New Testament era, we have the Holy Spirit who indwells us continually. What a privilege. What a privilege. They didn't, they didn't know that in the Old Testament times. But we have the privilege of knowing that. So they come into the house of God. In their minds, they're entering the presence of God. And notice their approach. Notice how they come. First, we see the Pharisee. Look at verse 11 and 12. The Bible says, The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are. And he names them extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. Wow. You know, I imagine as he says each one of those words, I imagine he's picturing either someone or something, some action, right? And in his mind, you know what he's doing. He's, he's thinking, I haven't done that, which means I'm better than that. Lord, I thank you that I'm not as other men are. He was saying, I thank you that I'm better than some men are. You know, the truth about the Christian life is this. We're not better than anyone else, but because of Christ, we're better off. Right? We're not better than anybody. Did you know you could stand you next to any other person and your human value is the same? But because of what you know in Christ, praise God, you may be better off. Better off, first of all, because you're on your way to heaven. But you may be even better off in life because you've learned some spiritual truths that now help you to live a victorious Christian life. Isn't that wonderful? That's not something to get proud about. That's something to praise God about. Notice what this Pharisee does. He comes in and he compares himself. Notice the Bible says in verse 11, or verse 12, I'm sorry. He continues, I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. What's he doing? He's offering the best of his jewels. Look what I do, Lord. Look at, look at me. Look at this. The problem is he comes in proud. He comes in boasting about his accomplishments. What does the Bible say about that, about his approach? Proud, boasting. What does the Bible say? Hold your place there and turn with me, if you would, to the book of James. James chapter 4, a little bit to the right in the, in the New Testament, closer to the end, Hebrews, James right there, right before the books of Peter. In James chapter 4, Brother James is a great Bible teacher. If you've never read the book all the way through, I really encourage you. I highly recommend you do that. Great nuggets of truth here. But look at verse 6, James 4, 6. Notice what the Bible says about pride. 
It says, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore, he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. So here's the thing. If you and I fall into the trap of pride, if we're going to let pride be our banner, the Bible says God is going to resist us. You see, because over here in the realm of the Pharisee, they come out waving the banner of pride. Look at me, Lord. I'm, not, I'm better than others. I haven't done all these wicked things. But guess what? When you do that, you pit yourself against the Lord because God resists the proud. Wow. I don't want to find myself on the wrong end of God, do you? I don't want God to be working against everything I'm trying to accomplish. Do you? That that just seems so counterproductive. That doesn't make any sense. We want to love God. We want to be on his side, and we want to have him working with us. Actually, we should say it like this. We want to be working with him. It's not God on your side. It's really you on God's side. But you can't be on God's side if you're wearing the banner of pride. Because pride is the mother of all sin. Every good Bible student knows that. Pride is the the thread of sin that runs all the way back to the garden in Genesis. Pride is, is not a badge of honor. It's nothing that you want to promote or encourage. It's not something that you want to check off as an accomplishment. God is against pride. Turn with me, if you would, to Proverbs chapter 16. We're going back now to the left in the Old Testament. About halfway through your Bible, you'll find the book of Psalms and go to the right and you'll see Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 16. The Bible says in verse 18, pride goeth before what? Destruction, right? Pride goeth before destruction and the next part of that, you're right, a haughty spirit before a fall. So those who are waving the banner of pride, guess what? God is saying, after that comes destruction. You know, that, you can take that to the bank. You know why? Because pride puts you against God. God resists the proud. Being proud is nothing to brag about. Now, humanly speaking, we, we like to say there's a good kind of pride. You know, like, like when, you're, when you're proud of your children for doing good things. When you're proud of your children because, you know, they learned how to give and they helped someone. You're proud of your children because maybe they shared a gospel witness with your neighbor. You're proud of your children because, you know, they, they learned how to work hard. They have a good work ethic. They do their chores well. Maybe they get a good grade on their report card. And so we like to say that's a good kind of pride. You know, we ought to call it what it is. That's joy. John said, I have no greater joy than when my children walk in truth. Amen. So let's enjoy that, that God gives, especially joy over good things. But let's put pride in its place. Because pride brings destruction and a fall. Not only was that, but the the Pharisee was boastful. Look what I'm doing, he said. But the Bible says in Proverbs 27, verse 1, it says, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. What are the two words? Boast not. 
right? Brother James said we ought to say, if the Lord will, we're going to do these things. All right? So not be boasting all the time. Pride and boasting, these things put us at odds with our Heavenly Father. But notice the, the publican. Notice his approach. Now, we didn't say this a moment ago, but the Bible says about, about the publican. Notice verse 13. The Bible says, and the publican standing afar off. So I get the picture. When they came into the house of God, the Pharisee came right down front, took a prominent place. But the publican, the Bible says, standing afar off, he stood in the back with a bowed head. His, his approach was different, wasn't it? His approach was humble. With his head bowed, he didn't even look up. He came in. He hung his head. He said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Notice what the Bible says in James. You're in James 4. Notice verse 10. The Bible says in James 4.10, Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Now, that's, a, that's another thing. When you, when you lift yourself up, that's one thing, but when he lifts you up, oh, that's something else altogether. Not only was the publican humble, but the Bible says he was repentant. We looked at some verses in Proverbs. Let me show you now Proverbs chapter 28. In Proverbs 28, in verse 13, the Bible has something to say about repentance. And this is a good principle, a good Bible principle to know. It says, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. What do we, what do we call it? When we have confession and forsaking together, you know, most of the time we know the motivation for that is what we call repentance. So here we see repentance is a matter of the heart. We can't see that. But when we see outer actions that point back to it, then we know it's present. And in this case, we see the publican and we see that repentant spirit that he had when, as he bowed his head, as he confesses to the Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. You know, the Bible principle is that is how we get mercy. That's how we get victory. To confess and forsake. Just to be honest with God about who we are. And don't make yourself out to be something you're not. Don't be proud and don't be a braggart. Don't be boastful in the sight of God. Just be honest. Lord, it's me. He knows you anyway, doesn't he? <clears throat> Another characteristic of the publican is that he saw himself as unworthy. And you know, if you know anything about Bible doctrine, especially the doctrine of salvation, then you know that you're unworthy. I'm unworthy. God saved us, but we weren't worthy of that. He didn't do it because of who we are. He didn't do it because of what we've done. <coughs> he did it because of what Jesus did. Jesus was the worthy one. And because of him, we have the forgiveness of sins. Isn't that good? 
Now, before we move on, I have to say this. Notice their approach. One comes in pride. One comes in self-righteousness. One comes in confident boasting. We would even call it arrogance. God, look at me. The publican, though, he comes in humility. He comes in repentance. He comes in the spirit of unworthiness. He bows his head, confesses, right? God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Ask forgiveness. You know, that's not only applicable in the area of salvation. But that also is the spirit of Christian living. That's the attitude that we ought to take from us, from the cross to the crown. We ought to live our lives and enter into glory with the spirit of humility, just as the publican had. That's the Christian way. That, that's what God likes to see. Let, let, let God be the one to exalt you instead of exalting yourself. In another place, the Lord told the disciples, when you go to a feast, don't, don't go in and take the, the uppermost seats. He said, sit down in the lower place. In other words, humble yourself. And if you should be in a, higher, a place of higher recognition, the host will come and find you and say, oh, what are you doing here? You need to come, come sit here. He was, again, illustrating this same principle, right? That when you humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, he will lift you up. He puts you in your right place. Their approach, we see it was very different, wasn't it? But notice that. Notice their appeal. Notice their appeal. The Pharisee in verse 11 and 12, how did he speak to God? Look what he said. God, I thank thee, he said, that I'm not as other men are. He's not only comparing himself to others, he's, he's exalting himself above others. He comes in the spirit of self-exaltation. He also comes in self-righteousness, and what he's doing is he's trusting in his works. Look at verse 12. He said, I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. He's naming off things that he thinks God will be pleased with. You know, that's human nature. But remember what the Bible says about human nature? Human nature is fallen. Human nature is off course. And it is not in agreement with the Spirit of God. That's why we need to get saved. That's why we have to repent. That's why we have to come to God and confess and ask for salvation. Because in our natural state, we are headed towards hell. We are guilty of sin. And we need a Savior. This Pharisee shows the condition of his natural state when he comes in with this self-exaltation, with his self-righteousness, trusting in his good works. You know, I've asked people many times, if you die today, would you go to heaven? And they'll say, well, I think so, I hope so. They'll say, I'm working on it. Sometimes they'll even say, well, sure. And if we have time to talk, I usually ask them, that's great, man, that's good. Well, listen, if I needed to know for sure, and I didn't know, but, but, but I knew that you did. You know how to get to heaven. So I came and asked you, hey, hey, look, I want to be sure I'm going to heaven. What do I got to do to be absolutely sure? Well, guess what they do? They pull out their list, just like the Pharisee. Well, God, I'm doing this, and I'm doing this. People do that. What do they put on that list? All the things that they think will make God happy, all the things that they think will please God. You know, there's only one problem. That list is still growing. 
You know why? Because if you're trying to get to heaven by your list of good works, you'll never know for certain that you're going there. And you'll always be adding and adding and adding to the list, hoping and hoping and hoping that you make it. And if people like that would just read the Bible, they would know that they'll never make it that way. Because it doesn't matter how many things you put on the list. The Bible says all of our good deeds are as filthy rags, unclean things in the sight of God. Because he's holy. We're not holy. We're sinful. So everything we do is tainted with that sin. So until the condition of sin is dealt with, we have no hope. That's why we need Jesus. So he makes a list. Here, look, God, look what I'm doing. And those people did. I'd say, hey, how do I know for sure? Because I know you know. What do I got to do to be sure I'm going to heaven? And they'll say, you know, they'll say stuff like, uh, well, well, you got to be good. You know, and you got to go to church and you got to get baptized. And, you know, I'll say, okay, okay, be good. Go to church, get baptized. Okay, all right. So if I do those three things, that's it. I know I'm going to heaven, right? Uh, well, uh, well, let's see. Uh, they're always going to add something. You got to be a church member. You, you got to give. You got to be, you know, you got to pay your taxes, be a good citizen. You know what I'm saying? You got don't kill anybody. Okay, wait, 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 wait. Let me make sure I got this. Okay, so if I'm a good person and I, and I go to church and I get baptized and I'm a church member and I give and, and I don't kill anybody, then I'm going to heaven. If you push them, Guess what? They'll add two or three more. You know why? Because they never are, never really sure. They're always hoping so, but they never know so. But the Bible told us that if we want to go to heaven, we'll never make it on our own. It's not about what we can do. It's about what Jesus did. And if we'll forget all of our stuff and just turn to him and say, Lord, I'm guilty, I confess, I'm a sinner, be merciful to me. I accept what you did on the cross as my payment of sin. I believe in Jesus, I believe that he was who he said he was. The Messiah, the Savior, sent to the world to pay for my sin. And because he died and paid for sin, I don't have to. When you accept Jesus like that, and guess what he does? He takes that payment. And he applies it to your account. So that one day when you stand before God in heaven and God opens the books, he says, forgiven. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Boy, isn't that good? Well done. I like that. The Pharisee doesn't appeal to God on the basis of Christ. He appeals to God on the basis of what he has done, his own goodness. He offers it to God. God's never impressed with that. Look anywhere else in the Bible you want. You'll find over and over, God's always unimpressed with our goodness. Cain and Abel, the story of Cain and Abel. Cain did the same thing. Abel was obedient. He gave the sacrifice that God asked for. Cain was disobedient. He brought the sacrifice of his own goodness to God. And what does the Bible say? God did not accept Cain, but he accepted Abel. And what happened? 
Cain got mad. He got so mad because God wouldn't accept his good works. It made him so mad, he was mad at Abel. What did innocent Abe do? Nothing. He just did what God wanted him to do. Minding his own business. Isn't that interesting? People sometimes who get mad at God also get mad at those who follow God. Cain got mad at Abel. He took all his frustration out, not on God. He took it out on Abel. And the Bible says he killed him. He killed his own brother. Don't tell me sin don't run deep. That's the Pharisee, proud of his own goodness, his own works, which wasn't much. Hey, if you're going to make a list, I hope it's longer than two things. But that's what he offered God. Notice the publican. Notice his appeal. The Bible says in verse 13, And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. What did he do? He appealed to God's mercy, not his goodness, not his worthiness. He confessed his unworthiness, and he appealed to God's mercy. God be merciful. We see remorse. We see confession, and we see repentance. Oh, we don't see repentance out front because that's a hidden thing. But we see the evidence of it in his actions, in his prayer, in the way he came to God. Confession. Confession of what? Confession of sin. The Bible says in Romans 3.10, as it is written, there's none good, no, not one. Hey, if you're sitting here this morning thinking you're a good person and you're going to make it to heaven one day because you're good, think again. Because the Bible says there's none good. Listen, that is so true that one day when a man called Jesus good, he stopped him and said, wait, why do you call me good? There's only one who is good, and that is God. Now, Jesus happened to be God in the flesh standing before him. But he just wanted to make sure he understood something. And it's the same thing that we have to understand. We use that word good so, so loosely. I'm a good person, really? What we really mean, because we look the other way, and what we really mean is, well, we're doing just what the Pharisee did. We're looking the other way and we're saying, well, I've never killed anybody. We're looking at criminals and people like Hitler in the past, evil people that have done horrible things. And we're looking at them and we're comparing ourselves and we're saying, I think I'm pretty good because I haven't done any of that stuff. That's exactly what the Pharisee did. And God rejected him. Because the right way to measure yourself is to turn and measure yourself by Jesus. And when you stand up next to him, guess what happens? When you stand up next to the Lord Jesus Christ, then all of a sudden you realize, well, well, I ain't so good. Nowhere near as good as he was. I'm not good at all when I look this way. And when we see ourselves how we really are, then we can do what we need to do. And ask him to help us. Because the Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. What does it mean to be short? It means you missed. And I don't care if you're an inch short or a mile short or a galaxy. 
If you miss, you miss. And the Bible says we all missed. We all missed the mark of heaven. We all missed the mark of righteousness. Nobody's good enough. If going to heaven was based on goodness, none of us would make it. Nobody. <clears throat> That's why Jesus died on the cross. The last thing we see here is their appraisal. What did God think about these two men? What did God think about their approach and their appeal? What did God say about it? Well, the Bible tells us exactly. Jesus, remember this is a parable, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Jesus has given us now the meaning as he gives us the appraisal. God is going to show us how he sees these two men. Notice verse 14. Looking at the publican, I tell you, this man, the publican, went down to his house justified rather than the other, rather than the Pharisee who thought he was so good. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. So the Pharisee, the religious one, the one who was checking the boxes, the one who was trying to do all the right things, by the way, for the wrong reason. Motives matter. He was rejected. He was rejected because of self-righteousness and self-exaltation. He was building himself to be something great. But the publican was the one who stood afar off. Humility set in. He bowed his head. He asked God's mercy. The publican was accepted of God. Because of his humility, his repentance, and his confession. Because of that, God accepted him, and the Bible says that God justified him. There is a teaching in the Bible called the doctrine of justification. This is what happens spiritually when someone understands their sin, and they come to Jesus Christ, and they ask him, to save them and forgive them of all their sins. The Bible says God declares that person to be righteous. He justifies them. It's not like a pardon. It's better than a pardon. A pardon admits that you were guilty, but we're going to let you off the hook. But justification declares you to be innocent in a state as if you never sinned. Whoa. That's what God does. He cleanses all our sin. Because the Bible says, this is hard to understand, but the Bible says when Jesus died on the cross, he took all the sins of the world on himself. He did that to pay the price of all of that so that when you come to him, he can give you his righteousness. What a trade. So when you come to Jesus and you make a trade like that, guess what? You get the better end of the deal. You don't get hung on a cross. You don't get spit upon and beaten, right? You become clothed and righteous and loved. You become part of the family of God. You, you become declared righteous or innocent just as if I never sinned. Wow. Looking at the picture, if you had no prior Bible knowledge, 
and you had been sitting in that room, humanly speaking, no doubt you would have thought, well, the Pharisee surely got God's attention. He, he surely had God's favor. But no. Oh, no. The unchurched one, the sinner in the back, the one who couldn't lift up his head but said, God, be merciful to me. That's the one who had God's favor. That's the one. In order to get that, you have to do the same thing he did. You have to say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You have to make it personal. You have to apply it to your life. If you've done that and you're now a Christian and you're a believer, then you're on the right road. But may I say, you still need to carry the spirit of humility with you as you follow Christ. Being a Jesus follower, being a Christian, doesn't, doesn't take you from that position to the position of the Pharisee and give you the privilege of looking down on everybody else. Never should that be the case. Don't forget where you came from. May God bless us with the spirit of humility and the attitude of repentance and the willingness to confess when we're wrong. Amen? How about it today? As we look at this picture, this, uh, this parable, this earthly story with a heavenly meaning, I hope, I hope you see yourself somewhere in this picture. I hope you can relate. Because it's so important. It's why Jesus told the story. He didn't speak any words without meaning, without reason. And that was certainly not the case here. So let's think about these two men as we bow our heads. And I want to ask you today, have you been where the publican was? Have you been at the back with your head bowed? Have you had that spirit of humility? Has there been a time in your life that you appealed to God's mercy? Have you ever said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner? Have you ever asked Christ in your heart? Have you ever been saved? If you're here today and you have been saved, you'd say, yes, sir, preacher, I've been saved. I've asked God's forgiveness. If I die today, I know, based on what the Bible says, I know I'd go to heaven because of who he is, not because of, not because of who I am. If that's your testimony, would you slip up your hand and then write back down? Thank you so much. God bless you all around the room. Amen. That's good. Maybe you're here and you'd say, Pastor, I'm not sure. There's never been a time when I've done that. I want to encourage you. you. You can do that today. You can do that right here. We'd be glad to take the Bible and show you how to be saved, how to invite Christ into your heart, how to ask him for mercy and let him help you and save you today. Hey, there would be, there would be nothing greater in our minds that could happen than someone trusting Christ right here today. If you need to be saved, I want to invite you to slip out and let us help you with that today. Before we move on, I want to ask, is there anyone here that would say, Pastor, that's me. I need to do that. I've never asked Christ to save me, and I'd like to. No one's looking but me. Would you just slip up your hand and put it right back down so I can pray for you? Pastor, I'd like to do that. I need to do that. I've never done that before. 
There'd be one anywhere. Pastor, that's me. Slip your hand up and put it right back down. I wonder today, do you see yourself somewhere else in the story? Do you see yourself down front? Are you standing next to the Pharisee? Has pride worked its way in your heart? Have you had that spirit of self-exaltation, self-righteousness? Oh, listen, that can get to us, can it? It can work its way in. It can get the better of us. The Pharisee was just a person like us, and we can find ourselves there. If that's you this morning, I want to invite you to come in just a moment. We're going to stand and the music's going to play and, and it's going to be your time to take action and apply what God's told you in your heart. And if that's where you stand today, I want you to come and ask God to help you, help you to be humble, to forsake the pride, forsake the self-righteousness and help others. Father, how we love you today and how we thank you for all that you've done and are going to do in this invitation. In Jesus' name we ask, amen.